Hello and welcome back to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, bud? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. I just realised that was just so, that was almost autopilot. <laughs> we, I swear we do the same intro every single time. We definitely we need, do. We really need to change it up. No, no, I learned that the hard way when I tried to change things and the audience was like, no, keep it the way it is. Thank you. Yeah, to be fair, every time I try and change the format of this podcast, it always goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you are listening to part two of Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, last week, we was did part one, uh, where it was going great until it until it got a bit problematic towards the end with the racism. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. You know how it goes. Hopefully, in this episode, we can sort of, like, make it better. We'll fix racism. Well, we'll fix... We'll cure it. Try and fix Gandhi's memory anyway. Right. Okay. So... Let's just get straight into it, shall we? Now, I mentioned uh, towards the end of last week's episode that uh, Gandhi left South Africa in 1914. Now, those dates must be burned into the minds of our listeners. Both world wars come up so much in this show. They really do. Yeah, they're always present. But then, you know, it's one of the biggest events in human history, is it not? Uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely up there. Yeah. Definitely up there, alongside uh, Leicester winning the Premier League. <laughs> uh, rest in peace, uh, Vichai Shrivadanaprava. <laughs> wow, you bashed that one out. Yeah, I, I know that one, and off by heart. I wouldn't even have attempted. <laughs> now, what was Gandhi's involvement during the First World War? Well, initially, he wasn't pro any fighting for Indians. Uh, whilst he uh, supported the British Empire's efforts, he did encourage Indians to join the Ambulance Corps, which, uh, yeah, like like he did back in the Boer War. Um, so during the war, he kept on his activism fighting for those working for the war effort in the fields. But come 1918, his beliefs would be tested. You see, the Empire needed men. And appealing to Indian politicians and collaborators to promote enlistment of Indian men, Gandhi was one of those who had been approached. Now, you would assume that his new belief in non-violence would mean he shunned the advance. But no. Instead, Gandhi advocated for it. He rallied many thousands of Indian men to volunteer and fight in a place they had likely never heard of for an empire that didn't care for them. In awe, 74,187 Indians died fighting on the Western Front. So, what was Gandhi's justification for advocating the pointless deaths of his fellow people? Well, he himself uh, struggled to answer that question after the war, but I think this quote may help to understand him a bit better. Quote, Voluntary enlistment is the right key to self-government. We shall acquire the capacity for defence. The opportunity for military training now open to us will not present itself in the future. I think what he's trying to say in this quote is that uh, the Indian people could use this experience to better themselves if they want to free themselves of colonial rule. Saying, you guys will get military training, you guys will be able to learn how to use weapons, and you could use that to fight against your overlords. But then, he's that goes against his pacifism. So it's it's slightly contradictory to his own beliefs. Do you get me? I'm with you, yeah. Yeah. Now, after the war, 
Gandhi was not happy that the British would not reward India for its loyalty by offering themselves rule. Instead, they brought in a new act called the Rolla Act, which allowed for the arrest and imprisonment without trial of any Indian they deemed to be an activist or nationalist. So, trying to invoke his Satagraha, remember that whole, you know, non-violence, peace and love, give as much love as all the hate you get, all that kind of stuff, he concluded that British rule only works through cooperation. If Indians stopped cooperating, then it would crumble and it would leave, and then they would leave. Therefore, non-cooperation was a big part of Gandhi's philosophy. So, in 1919, he encouraged Indians to just stop working, don't cooperate with the British, and many listened. It did sweep the nation with so many closing their businesses, walking out of work to go pray, to go fast, or hold public meetings and just, you know, lounge around. But in some areas, like Punjab, Delhi and Gujarat, riots broke out and the violence ensued. In Delhi, officers fired on protesters, which is never a good look. But for Gandhi, this wasn't how it was supposed to go. He tried to remind everyone that this was not about violence. It had to be done peacefully. Burn British clothing, boycott British goods, just don't act violently. That's all he wanted you to do. So he travelled to Delhi to try and calm things down, but was warned if he was to enter the city, he would be arrested. But he went in anyway, and lo and behold, he was arrested. Mm. Now, um, in Amritsar, uh, which is a, a, a city uh, northwest of India, I believe, British troops surrounded the peaceful protesters, which included men, women and children. And the officer in charge, Reginald Dyer, ordered them to open fire. Between 300 to 1,000 innocent protesters were massacred that day. Which Which sucks, and you would imagine that was probably kept quiet, but it wasn't. The British media did report this, but unfortunately they reported it as an an unfortunate necessity. Ah, okay, so they knew what happened, there's no remorse. No remorse, and that that was kind of the empire at the time, wasn't it? Now, what was Gandhi's response? What, imagine what Gandhi's response was to that 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 massacre. Um, well, in part one, he seemed very like pro pro white people. Um, well, actually, no, that's wrong. He wasn't pro white people, but like he didn't seem to have beef against the UK. Uh, I don't know. Did he do another peaceful protest? Uh, well, he actually blamed the dead protesters for not using love to deal with the situation better. Ah, yes, because I too can block bullets with love. <laughs> Yeah, fucking Harry Potter, isn't it? When his mom dies, it's just yes, it's not how it works. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That, um, I listen, I'll be honest, it's around here where I start to get really aggravated with Gandhi. This seems to be the first real moment where he blames his victims, saying that, um, you know, they should have been more passive, more loving, those kind of things. Um, it's just against aggressors that will kill you, right? These guys don't care, mm. it doesn't work. This this works like if you want to be a squatter and you want to sit in the living room and the landlord can't kick you out. But if that landlord has a gun and is totally okay with using it, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. yeah. Now, in an attempt to stop the violence, Gandhi went on a fast to death. I I will stop the basically a hunger strike, right? Uh, to pressure Indians to stop the violence. When the violence stopped, 
an investigation into the massacre was held by the Brits. Indians naturally wanted revenge for it, but Gandhi was against it. Gandhi's naivete thought that British law would prosecute Reginald Dyer for the massacre. You were sort of hinting at earlier, James, were you saying that um, he's kind of pro-UK, kind of like pro-Brit, pro-Empire-ish-ish? Say that lightly because mm, someone yeah, might get offended. So he, he, like I say, was being really naive and was like, no, no, listen, listen, listen. Let justice do its thing, right? Let it do its thing. Um, but yeah, it was at this moment where his uh, loyalty for the Empire died. Um, Reginald Dyer, the man responsible for the massacre, yeah, he, he, he did not receive any sort of punishment for what he did, which is not a shock. No, of course not. I don't think it's a shock to anybody. Now, uh, from here, Gandhi was all for home rule. Indians running India. That's how it ought to go from there. Now, around this time, a poet gave him the title of Mahatma, which means great soul. It stuck, and from then on, he became Mahatma Gandhi. Um, I will just continue to refer to him as Gandhi from here on. (laughs) I'm not going to call him Mahatma. You go for it. Now, in 1920, Gandhi entered politics. He became the leader of the national, uh, the Indian National Congress and was pushing for reforms. Gandhi was Hindu. Hindus and Muslims had been at each other's throats for, as, for, for a long, long time, right? Since the Mughal Empire brought Islam to the region. Now, under mm. British rule, they kind of got on, mainly because if they had... Um, if they'd sort of like not got along with each other, the Brits kind of stepped in and sort of, you know, like a parent holding two siblings away from each other. That was kind of the British. And they were like, listen, guys, sort your shit out. Get on with each other because I ain't having you fighting in my fucking warehouse. This is not on. (laughs) Um, Now, Gandhi tried to make a peace with Muslims, right? Um, He didn't see religion as being a barrier uh, to most Indians. Um, and, and, and it turns out that most Hindus don't either. It's it's mainly a peaceful religion that doesn't push itself on you and it certainly doesn't expect you to convert. Hinduism doesn't have a Bible or a Quran like other religions, like a, a religious text. It has loads of different sort mm. of texts that you can use and they're all religious to a degree, but it doesn't have a book, like a place where it's all stored. Um, I watched like one video when looking up about Hinduism and they were like, so you don't you don't allow converts. He was like, well, you don't really convert. You're either kind of like born into it. You can follow it if you want. You can call yourself it if you want. But no, you don't. There's no really sort of any way to convert into it. Just be better. <laughs> yeah. Basically. So, yeah, uh, he just saw Muslim Indians and Hindu Indians as Indians and wanted their support. And for the most part, he did, which was really cool because, like I say, Indians and Muslims were kind of hating on each other for a long time and he managed to get a few of them to follow him and be peaceful with each other. So the leader of a significant political Hmm. party with the backing of many people and now Muslim Indians, the British began to take serious notice of him. He was making waves. He told Indians to boycott British goods, to forsake all British titles, to ignore their judicial system and res- uh, and resign from any government position that collaborated. But most of all, he wanted Indians to stop wearing British-made clothes and wear their own handmade clothing. To do this, he promoted the Swadeshi movement. Everyday 
Indians up and down the country should uh, should take time out of their day to spin their own cloth and make their own clothes, such as a kadi, which is like a, a, a kind of long overshirt you'll see many men wearing. Now, it became such a powerful tool that even today it is used as a symbolic gesture for Indian independence. And recently, uh, uh, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson visited India when he was running away from things uh, and was seen weaving cloth. <laughs> that, like, Imagine that. That is a massive middle finger. Being like, Carl, do you remember? You used to own this place and now you're doing the very thing that we use as a national symbol of independence. I just find that ironic. Mm. Now, it was so powerful a move that Gandhi was arrested uh, and went to prison in 1922, sentenced to six years. He would only go on to serve two of those years, but still. Now, in the meantime, the work he had done for political support began to fail. His party began to fracture, broke in two, and the Muslim section section that had support uh, began its own party to represent fellow Muslims. Now, the rest of the 1920s, Gandhi travelled to parts of India, mostly on foot, to talk to everyone, including the downtrodden, the lowest of the caste system. He had really become a man of the people in India. He basically became Indian Jesus. I, I don't think that's too rude a thing to say. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and here is where I kind of want to hint back to part one last week, right? Where there was that story about the kid who was a Dalit, the untouchable cast, and he was like playing with him as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I said that story I don't believe to be true. I think it comes from here, where he starts to become, he's now become Mahatma Gandhi, who is okay with the untouchables. uh, And he's sort of almost done a 180, I think. I wonder whether Mahatma Gandhi, that we're talking about now, if he had gone back to South Africa, would he have a difference of an opinion? I'm starting to think that. Uh, I mean, basically, I'm... Sh- go on. I'm, I mean, I was just going to say, yeah. I, I assume he would. Uh, I'd like to think that. And I, it sounds I, like what, he's developed a bit. That's it. I think he's starting to maybe grow as a person mm. and start to just change and evolve, which I think we're all capable of doing. Wow. So as much as we sort of shit on him a bit last episode, and I am going to do it a little bit later on too, um, people can evolve and get better. So, everyone can yeah, change, as Rocky Balboa says at the change. end of Rocky Four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, now, on March the 12th, 1930, Gandhi set off on a 241-mile journey on foot from uh, Ahmedabad to Dandi. Now, along the way, 78 volunteers joined him on the long march. It took 25 days to complete. Uh, mainly because he kept stopping to talk to the masses of people that gathered to hear him speak. Uh, and when he got to Dandy, thousands had come to see him at this point. In fact, there's, uh, there's like old footage of him just like walking around wearing his uh, classic dotty and shawl with a walking stick and just thousands of people following him. Um, so when he got there, he, he headed for the coast. He jumped in the sea, washed himself and then collected sea salt that had collected up on the shore. Now, you're probably thinking, why am I talking about Gandhi going for a stroll along the beach? Well, the British had imposed a salt law that meant no Indian could make salt from seawater. Now, again, you might wonder, why is this important? 
It's important because salt is such an important ingredient to a lot of Indian dishes. In fact, mm. around the world, it, it, it's used almost every day. And it was in India, especially I back then. I love salt. Oh, I love me some salt on my chips. Mm. Now, the British saw that the Indians used salt every single day. In fact, they made their own. So it was basically free a lot of the time. Uh, and those that made it, obviously a lot of it sold it. And that's how they became merchants, blah, blah, blah. That's how things work. The British saw this as an opportunity. So what they did was they banned Indians from making their own salt so that they could only buy salt that was harvested by the empire. And then they enforced a salt tax when you bought it. So not only did you have to buy the thing that was once free, you then have to buy it and pay tax. Typical bloody Britain. Yeah, massively. So Gandhi going to the sea and grabbing a handful of salt was a massive middle finger to the empire. Up and down the country, thousands of Indians defied the empire by harvesting their own salt. And this is a quote I found somewhere. And when I tried to Google it, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I may have got it wrong, but I find it interesting, right? So sometimes all it takes is just a small act of defiance. And that's all it was. He went to the sea and he picked up some salt, which was massively illegal. That's crazy. I know they're like it they're is. banning him from this natural fucking substance or banning people. That's that's mental. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, I, uh, this is really immature of me, but every time I say empire, I just think of Star Wars now, and that is how I will refer to the British Empire from now on. Just as like Darth Sidious as the Queen Victoria <laughs> and Darth Vader and shit. That's how I imagine it. I mean, there's absolute parallels, oh, isn't there? Hugely, hugely. Yeah, some say look like isn't it stormtroopers and. Darth Vader is like modeled on samurais and Nazism or something like it's all, it's all very Nazi memory, like not invoking Nazi thoughts. Right. But I, I mean, some of the Nazi troops were literally called stormtroopers. This is true. I just now I'm just looking at being like, no, this is totally the British Empire, like just owning fucking sand dunes and <laughs> planets and shit. Hate mm. sand. Yeah. Or, sand, or the worst thing is when you get like you go in the sea and then you come out. And you just get sand or like fucking attached to you. Oh, you can't get rid of it. It's the, it's the worst the thing. Worst. And you have to put your socks on. Oh. Yeah. It's absolutely oh, sand. I mean, I live by a beach, so like I enjoy beaches, but I will avoid touching the sand if possible. No, I'm the same. Now, naturally, Gandhi, among many others, was arrested for his act of defiance. But pressure from the populace, including some from back in the UK, meant that he was released along with other prisoners. And in fact, this release... Uh, sparked a change. Indians were from then on allowed to make their own salt. So it worked. This peaceful Good. protest worked. It's just really... Well Gandhi. Yeah, well done, Gandhi. Now, in 1932, Gandhi is 62 years old and is heading to his old stomping ground, London. Why? Well, back in India, his civil disobedience had caused such a stir that he'd been to see, he'd been to see the Viceroy of India who basically begged him to stop. And in return, he would release all political prisoners and allow Gandhi to visit London at the Roundtable Talks, where he will represent his political party and discuss India. Now, you can imagine that Gandhi was seriously excited about this proposal. He has caused mm. such a stir that London wants to speak to him directly. Yeah. The only thought that could be going through his head would be like, this is it. This is it. This is what I've been fighting for independent india is coming mm -hmm. now in london he was offered a swanky hotel in the west end but instead chose to stay in a tiny room 
in the East End of London, near the locals, because he wanted to be seen among the real people of the empire. And you know what? He was really popular. He often wandered the streets of the East End, talking to people, listening to their problems, probably telling them he's a West Ham fan. And (laughs) across the city in the affluent West End was Winston Churchill. Now, he is not going to appear much in our story today, but I just think it's a good side note, okay? He was not a fan of Gandhi at all. He said of him, and this is a bit of a long quote, so pay attention, quote, It is alarming and also nauseating to see Mr. Gandhi, a seditious Middle Temple lawyer, now posing as a fakir of a type well known in the East, striding half-naked up the steps of the viceregal palace, to parlay on equal terms with the representative of the king emperor. Now, if I told you that was a direct quote from Boris Johnson, you'd probably believe me. I mean, Boris Johnson, like, wants to be Winston Churchill, so it wouldn't surprise me if he just has, like, a book of Churchill quotes. Boris Johnson is... That he practices in the mirror every night. Yeah, Boris Johnson's trying to emulate Winston Churchill's body type, I've noticed. Sort of that big belly he's getting now. Yeah, but the... But the thing is, Boris Johnson, like, he wants to be our wartime prime minister, if you know what I mean, like Churchill was. But, Mm. like, he fucked it during COVID. Like, there's every chance we're about to get into a a big war. And I just, I don't, I don't trust him. He's the Neville Chamberlain, but he thinks he's Churchill. Yeah. Yeah, he's appeasement prime minister. Absolutely. Yeah, he just stands. I bet he stares at himself naked in the mirror, just pretending he's Winston Churchill. Yeah, it, it's crazy. He needs to he needs to go, but that's a story for another time. But yeah, so Churchill not a big fan, especially when he's come to London, and he's very popular. Now at the roundtable talks, things weren't going so well. Remember, Gandhi had expected the conversation to be on Indian independence, but that's not what was being discussed. Britain was basically carrot dangling just to get him there, where they spoke mainly about the Indian princes and lower people of lower castes, offering to give them more representation, even proposing more representation for religious groups, which sounds good, right? But all things that Gandhi was opposed to, because he didn't want people to become separated by their caste or their religion. He wanted all people to just be Indian without the baggage. Be like, listen, you can be an Indian Muslim and be getting on with an Indian uh, an Indian Hindu. Why do you need... Mm. Why do you need representation? Uh, and why do you want that? Uh, I, I, listen, I kind of understand it to a little degree. Like, I think he wants people to uh, rally behind one unifying thing that they can all get on board with, not s- yeah. not to separate and start clashing with each other based on it. Because that's what humans are really yeah. good at doing. We're really good at sort of getting into cliques and then hating someone that's not in it. Yeah, and then you're weaker as a result. Now, luckily for Gandhi, a catastrophic event was about to kick off that would give him the nation he was fighting for, but it wouldn't go the way he would have preferred. World War Two. Yes. What's that? The war. Again. We've never mentioned that before. <laughs> we always mention it. <laughs> <laughs> but how did Gandhi view the war? Now, unlike the, <laughs> unlike the prequel to World War Two. Um, Gandhi was not in support of the British in their fight against Nazism. Not that he was pro-Nazism, I might point out. He was just not supporting the British. 
believing that it was hypocritical to have the empire fighting for democracy in Europe when it didn't exist in India, which I totally understand. That's a valid point, yeah, fair. Yeah, massively valid. (laughs) Now, he called for Indians to, once again, boycott calls to volunteer and fight. But it kind of fell on deaf ears because 2.5 million Indians volunteered to fight for the empire, which is a serious number. That's a large amount of people. Sure. And 87,000 would die fighting. But that's not including the millions that would die in the Bengal famine. And if you'd like to know a bit more about that, you can check out our Winston Churchill series. Now, in 1942, when protesting in Mumbai for the British to quit India, he was arrested and sentenced to two years in prison. Uh, His wife was also imprisoned alongside him, and unfortunately she would die in prison, um, which is never nice. And Gandhi would suffer with a severe bout of malaria. While locked up, his pacifism took on a more martyrdom style. He was pushing for Indians to completely stop cooperating with the imperial government, saying that they were not to harm or kill any British person, but should totally be willing to be killed themselves in protesting. It's a bit glass cannon, isn't it? Like, Mm. it's all good saying that. Are you going to do it yourself? Yeah, exactly. Now, this is a weird one, right? He says he would rather die than fight. And he really does mean it, right? But he believes that even if you're being beaten to death, you should just take it and never strike back. The best way I can describe it is like playing possum, pretending you're already dead and they might leave you alone. But if they don't, you die anyway. I mean, he's a pacifist, isn't he? But maybe pacifist to a fault. Sometimes you need to hit back. I I think that's a really good way of putting it. He's a pacifist to a fault. Um, Now, get this. He didn't think the Brits should fight back against the Nazis even when they were bombing the shit out of their homes. Hmm. Saying, quote, I would like you to lay down the arms you have as being useless for saving you or humanity. You will invite Herr Hitler and Signor Mussolini to take what they want of the countries you call your possessions. If these gentlemen choose to occupy your homes, you will vacate them. If they do not give you free passage out, you will allow yourself, man, woman and child to be slaughtered, but you will refuse to owe allegiance to them. That's very wordy, but I think what he's getting at is, uh, listen, if they come to you, fuck off. Give them the home and walk away. Don't fight them, just walk away. And if they don't let you walk away and they kill you, at least you didn't bow down to them. That's mad. Like this is where I, I massively disagree with Gandhi. Like you can't not fight the Nazis. That's ridiculous. No, exactly. Like, can you imagine the absolute atrocities that would have happened had we just allowed the Nazis to kind of do what they wanted? I mean, that's literally what happened at the start of the war, wasn't it? We were like, yeah, have Austria, have Czechoslovakia, and then it suddenly got a bit far. And oh, we were like, oh, actually, yeah. Yeah, oh, I, that's mad. Yeah, that's that's mad because they would have taken Britain. We 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 had like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. The Russians would have had a fucking good whack at it, though. I guess. Oh, the yeah. Russians ain't gonna listen to Gandhi. No, no, well, neither did we. And then no, good. The cherry on the cake was his take on the Holocaust, <laughs> which is a great sentence. I'm fast. I'm fascinated about what the fuck he's got to say about this. So Gandhi, after the war, said, "Quote, it's a big one." Uh, Hitler killed 5 million Jews. It is the greatest crime of our time. But the Jew should have offered up themselves to the butcher's knife. They should have thrown themselves into the sea from cliffs. 
it would have aroused the world and the people of Germany. As it is, they succumbed anyway in their millions. He's 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 actually victim blaming, saying that they should have just is this, en masse committed he's a suicide moron. to to to, to uh, try to try and get the German people on their side. Yeah. That's mad. Yeah. Because obviously, as we touched on last week in the Ben's episode, the large amount of people weren't Nazis and didn't support the Nazis. So I don't understand what benefit he thinks is going to happen from people mass killing themselves to try and get the German people on side. The German people knew what was going on to a point. Oh, yeah. And they were probably against it, but they would have died themselves if they spoke out. He, he clearly has no understanding or context of what was happening in Germany at the time. Possibly not. Like, what, how, you're just telling... He's absolutely victim-blaming. That's a hor- It's a horrible thing to say. Yeah, now, he does have a tendency to victim-blame. Obviously, uh, in, I believe, the last episode, it may have been, uh, we talked about uh, the massacre that happened in that city, and he blamed the victims for basically not being too peaceful enough. I'm all for no war, no violence. I think most people are. But you can't just roll over when some evil wants to take over the planet. You can't just roll over and accept it. It's just not how it works. Yeah. yeah. I think, was it Winston Churchill, to quote Churchill, wasn't it Churchill that once said you can't um, reason with a tiger when your head's in its mouth? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I haven't written this down, but I did find it... Um, Maybe that, maybe that shows my bias that I didn't put it in the episode, but I'll say it now. Um, there is somewhere a quote about Gandhi talking about a particular war, saying that listen, I don't support any war. Uh, I'm sure there are wars there are that are just worthy. I just don't support any. Um, so I don't even I don't even necessarily know if that helps to support him because he's saying whilst I understand there are many people that can justify it, I just don't agree with it at all. No, not at all. It doesn't help him at all because I am against all war. But if six million people are being killed because of their race, religion, or disability, and you're saying, oh, these people should have killed themselves and then blaming them, you're, you're wrong. You Like, what a horrible, horrible thing to say. <laughs> if anyone else said that, they would, like, they would be done for. Mm. Mm. Just because Gandhi fought the good fight doesn't mean that he is against criticism for victim-blaming Jewish people for dying in the fucking Holocaust. <laughs> well, here's, uh, here's a bonus quote. In a letter to the British during the war, he wrote, quote, This manslaughter must be stopped. You are losing. If you persist, it will only result in greater bloodshed. Hitler is not a bad man. Fuck off. It doesn't age well, does it? <laughs> <laughs> what? He's, he's clueless. He has no idea what's happening now, in the world. To, to be clear, to be clear, I do not know when this letter was written i i am inclined to believe it may have been at the beginning of the war but even at the beginning we understood that hitler's not a good man he is definitely no, a bad man very widely yeah he is I, I mean i've never never in my life have i ever heard anyone refer to hitler as not a bad man um let alone gandhi yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's fascinating yeah. wow mm. wow this is worse than the racism he was fucking doing earlier <laughs> But he 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 ma- he made so much growth at the beginning of this episode. He 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 came so far. <laughs> what a horrible thing! Like we're all anti-war. No one wants war. No one wants people to die. But unfortunately, there are some people that do. And when they get into power, you have to fight against them. Mm. Otherwise, they will kill yeah. you. Evidently. Yeah. But th- but that's what Gandhi was saying. Gandhi was like, "No, I'd rather be killed than fight." I, there's no. There's fucking die then, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. Oh if that's what you want to do, by all means, but don't expect anyone else to do the same. <laughs> make me snort on the podcast. I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's just ridiculous. Oh, mate, that's angered me so much. How dare you va- victim blame fucking Holocaust victims? <laughs> you absolute wanker. Anyway, right, let's crack on. Let's carry on, shall we? Oh, he's dead to me. Fuck him. Well, he is. He is dead. Now, Gandhi was released Good. from prison in 1944 since the British did not want him to die in prison and upset the people. Now, aged 75 years old, he showed no signs of stopping his fight f- uh, for a free India. When the war came to an end, the British Empire was up in smoke. It was a tired old man clinging onto its former glory. It did not have the resources or the manpower to hold domain over such a vast empire, especially such a huge country like India. So, Viceroy of India at the time, Louis Mountbatten, who is the uncle of Prince Philip, the late husband of our current monarch, which I find fascinating. Our colonial past is still in living memory. Mm. Viceroy Mountbatten was tasked with overseeing the transition of a British India to an independent India. Now, this part of history is majorly complex, so I can't get into it too heavily here. So here's a simplified version. The British knew that the Hindus and Muslims didn't really get on and thought that an India run by a majority Hindu populace would be a bad place for Muslims. So, with pressure from Muslim political parties in India, decided to partition India into two separate countries, India and Pakistan East and Pakistan West. Pakistan West is the state that we know today. East was now is now Bangladesh. The idea was that Hindus could live in India and Muslims could live in Pakistan. Problem solved. But it never really works like that. In fact, the British Empire did it all over the empire when offering out independence like it was a shit-flavoured chocolate, just drawing lines and saying, you now live here, but my granddad lives over there. Well, he now lives in a different country, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the, the, the politics around India's mental... I mean, it still goes on now, really, doesn't For it? sure. Yeah, absolutely. It still still exists today. Pakistan and India are still at each other's throats, threatening to blow each other up with nuclear weapons now. I I have a friend um, from Kashmir, and Kashmir is obviously like the hotly contested Uh area. Um, I think I've I've, I've sort of chatted to him about it. I think he identifies as like Indian Kashmiri, but he um, tells me all the time about his family that live there and like they've got curfews, they're subjected to all this like horrific stuff yeah so there have been since india's independence three uh three wars between pakistan and india over uh, uh two of which involved kashmir so uh, uh, uh two of the three are over that hotly dispute area mad but yeah mm. india and pakistan hate each other i remember it was years ago i was talking to my course leader at the time who funnily enough is the voice of Geralt of riviera in the witcher video games oh, yeah yeah um, we were talking, about, I don't know why we were talking about nuclear war, and he was like, the ones who've really got to watch are India and Pakistan, because if anything kicks off between them, it's fucking game over for everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Because they've just got nukes just pointed at each other, waiting. Mm. Yeah, it's a scary thought. Now, mm. which is, we'll cover it we're in in a minute, but um, it's mad that like, once they were of the same nation, it's so bizarre. Mm. Now, I mean, so was Russia and Ukraine, but uh, uh, fuck. Right, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) People change. Yeah. Gandhi was totally against this idea of separating India and Pakistan. He didn't want to see India torn up. 
Remember, he didn't see people by their religion and he didn't want a new India to do that either. He wanted all Indians, regardless of religion, to live under the same banner. But that wasn't the same feeling shared by a minority Muslim population. Indian partition was a bloody affair with thousands murdered or massacred while trying to force a nation to split in two. On the 15th of August 1947, India became an independent nation with a new neighbour, Pakistan. On that day, between 10 to 12 million Hindus and Muslims who were living on the wrong side of the border migrated. And it's the largest mass movement of people in history. And many, many people would die. And the British, did they help? Did they fuck? They washed their hands of it. They were like, well, no, sorry, this this is an India problem. <laughs> That's nothing to do with us. It's like... Wait, 12 hours ago, you were our overlords. No, 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 no. But today, you're an independent nation. Here's your first mm. challenge. <laughs> That's quite, yeah, it's sort of like the safety net's kind of gone. Obviously, I'm not supporting colonialism. There's a lot wrong with it. But I know there is also the argument of colonialism did also offer a lot to the nations in which we're sort of involved. Um. Are you going to sort of like hint at the fact that it had a lot of infrastructure in India, like railways and all this kind of stuff? It's a, it's, a, it's a dangerous ground, isn't it? Because I don't want to openly state that colonialism is a good thing because it's not, but it does offer progression. So, naturally. To uh, countries. Naturally. I watched many, many, many a documentary and read many, many an article about uh, uh, the, the the partition of India and colonialism and if, if it left anything good in India or across any of its old colonies. And uh, the the one major thing that we I have found with India was that most people think that it didn't do anything good. and Right, the, okay, then in which case I retract all my uh, previous uh, statements. No, and, and to sort of just like, um, sort of like, get at what I'm sort of, uh, uh, railways, railways, infrastructure, all those things are always he uh, heavily hinted at by those who uh, not support colonialism or anything, but sort of like want to uh, lessen it in some way mm. and they always go oh yeah. no 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 but look listen we built infrastructure and we built railways that india still uses today it's important to remember and this is the thing that i found most people tend to agree with railways infrastructure was not made for indians it was made for the british to take everything out of india that was the only right okay and when yeah, and when and when britain fucked off indians were like okay well we'll make the most of what we have left and so railways yeah. were a thing that was left and that's why it's so popular still even today it's like the only thing that we sort of left behind really um that's fascinating i didn't think about it like that but yeah no well, i, well I hadn't either james I, I literally had the same thought that you sort of had at the beginning there and i was like i'd never really thought of it like that the uh, the infrastructure was brought to india to take stuff from it not to bet not mm. to better anyone it's sort of like i was just thinking at the start you know the scene in monty python life of brian where it's like what have the romans ever done for us yeah well the, the roads uh, yeah besides roads education but yeah i, I get what you mean yeah. colonialism is bad like full stop mm -hmm. so what does a brand new independent nation do with itself well go to war of course <laughs> yep oh it's the next logical thing yeah yeah yep India was at war with its new neighbour Pakistan over the Kashmir region two months after independence. Wow, they didn't wait around, did they? No, certainly didn't. Now, 
the British, like I said earlier, they sort of washed their hands of it. They didn't want nothing to do with it. Now, uh, although Gandhi was somewhat involved with the partition of India, had nothing to do with like Pakistan being a part of it because he didn't want that to be a thing, right? Um, so Gandhi is now affectionately known as the uh, father of India or of modern India and still is today. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's mad to think that Gandhi's dream of an independent India is inextricably linked with his death. So he was devastated when India and Pakistan went to war for the first time when they were all considered Indian mere months earlier. And he had always had a respect for Muslims, much much to the dismay of many Hindus. So he fasted again in the hope that the war would stop, saying that he would do it until he died. Now, he was such a famous figure at the time. Uh, there were many calls for war to stop, maybe a ceasefire to stop, because, listen, we don't want Gandhi to die. And if he says it, then it must be like a, a an OK thing, unless it's about the Holocaust. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it wouldn't get to that point. A group of Hindu extremists didn't take too kindly to Gandhi's sympathies for Muslims and plotted to kill him. On the 30th of January 1948, 78-year-old Mahatma Gandhi was shot three times to the chest point-blank by a young Indian called Nataram Godzi. India's Prime Minister at the time, Jawaharlal Nehru, announced his death to the nation on the radio saying quote friends and comrades the light has gone out of our lives and there is darkness everywhere and i do not quite know what to tell you or how to say it our beloved leader bapu as we called him the father of the nation is no more and um yeah that's how gandhi died his funeral was attended by millions and then he was cremated following hindu tradition hmm so like I, I have them real quick. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> now it, the partition of India, like India's independence, the thing that he had fought for the most in his life was the thing that would lead to his death. Kill him mad. That's crazy. Mm. Mm. And so, it just yeah. sets up years and years of beef with Pakistan. But also they probably did need to get out of English rule. We're definitely holding them back. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a poison chalice, isn't it? It's like, we'll, yeah. we'll leave, but if we leave, We'll make a new state that will you'll hate and mm. and never get on with. Um, now, what? Given like given both parts, James, what's your sort of overall feeling on Gandhi? Well, I said some pretty strong comments earlier. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was interesting to hear the context of how he grew up and was training to be a lawyer and was first subjected to racial abuse and stuff. That's very interesting. Uh, I enjoy that he's a man of peace because I think we should all be people of peace. I think that's important. No one should ever want to take the life or harm another human being. Um, I draw the line of victim blaming. I, I because I'm for, I think the way that just humanity works, there are always going to be people that want to kill other people. That's just sort of, um, I don't know if it's instinctual or what, but it's, it's just going to happen. Um, you you can't victim blame in any tragedy in anything that happens in life. So and to victim blame Holocaust victims is just that's that baffles me. Like absolutely baffles me. And the mm. the quotes about him saying they should just kill themselves to try and get the German people to rise up like that's mental. That yeah. uh, that holds no logic. But maybe at the time the context of what he thought the Holocaust was was different. But in his quote he quoted five million deaths, so he clearly had some idea what the fuck happened. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. He also said Hitler's probably not a bad man, which 
come on now. I just think a lot of it's just out of context stuff, just saying stuff before really knowing what's going on. Yeah, but oh, I, I don't. He said some pretty. He, he's, he's another one of these that's a grey area, isn't he? And I'm sure if we have Indian listeners, they're going to be horrified at some of the stuff I said. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also, you have you have to. I, I don't know what the the phrase is, but you have to see both sides of it. Maybe maybe what I said was quite strong. Um, but when people victim blame Holocaust victims, I think y- you are a prick. Like that's just a horrible, horrible thing to do. Well, on on the victim blaming, there is um. So uh, I've got a few more notes, sort of things that I kind of want to just point out and talk about with Gandhi as sort of like almost contradictory things to him and the way he lived um Mm. on the victim blaming there's a story of two women who were attacked by men uh, and when they went to gandhi about it um he said that they should shave their hair to appear not attractive how many fucking times have we heard this it happens nowadays doesn't it the second a woman like gets sexually assaulted what were you wearing what time are you out were you drunk like fuck off like it's not their fault it's the man's fault for fucking being a bloody deviant oh now, um, Gandhi on sex, uh, he believed that a person who married to satisfy his carnal desires was lower than a beast. So, like, you know, get married, sure, but if you're getting married because you want to have sex or something, like, that's 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 horrendous. Like, that's awful, which is bizarre. This is the nation mm. that gives the Karma Sutra. It's all about passion and shit. <laughs> um, and he had no time for casual sex, right? Absolutely none. So much so that he became celibate at the age of 38. He was like, nah, I'm not having sex anymore. Like, that's it. I've got four kids and... Uh, yeah, that's me. I'm out. I'm out. He just couldn't get no bitches, could he? Well, no, he had a wife still at the time, so he just was like, nah. no. Um, now, God, I bet she was thrilled. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, this is the thing, right? So he may have been a bit of a hypocrite on the whole sex thing. Um, I, I don't... There's nothing that says he was a hypocrite in that there's nothing that says he actually had sex, even though he said it was celibate. There's nothing here. But apparently he was a bit of a flirt with the ladies. He loved hanging around nice ladies and having them sat on his lap. Uh, once said that um, about sex was like, oh, if you have too much sex, uh, you become soft-brained, you become mentally and morally weak. Um, uh, and and uh, oftentimes wanted to test his vows of celibacy by having young women uh, sleep in the same bed as him whilst he was oftentimes naked. Um now, on one occasion, had his grandniece uh, sleep in the same bed as him whilst he was naked. Um, this was a build-up, though. So he would have her like sleep in the same room as him, but in a separate bed. And then she'd move into the same bed as him whilst he was clothed. And then eventually he would be naked. Um, it doesn't. It never specifies whether she was naked. She has always come out and said that he never made any sexual advances to her. And other women who have shared his bed uh, said that, they never felt uncomfortable. They said it felt like sharing the bed with your elderly mother. So, um, but I, I, I do find it a bit odd that he felt the need to do that. Because, like, I'll be honest, if you told me you were celibate, I wouldn't ask you to prove it. Like, I don't know who you're proving it to. I'm celibate and I need to prove it. Get in this bed and sleep with me. <laughs> <laughs> Arouse me and I won't do anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look, see, not going to do it. Not going to do it. See, <laughs> it's not moving. <laughs> it's, it's almost like he was trying to, like, tell himself. Yeah. Yeah, and it's mad uh, that you have to, pr- like, you don't have to prove it to me. Like, just, just tell me you're celibate. I'll believe you. Um, but Yeah, I mean, like I say, no one has ever come out and said that he did do anything. But, like, 
who's to say that he didn't get some sort of satisfaction by being naked in a bed with a woman and not doing something? I don't know. Like maybe he got off on that. I, I, he probably didn't. I'm probably seeing something to be really negative here. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, oh, we've just lost all Indian listeners over this, haven't we? Fuck. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But then you know. In our defence, I have called many people many names over the course of the three years we've been doing this. It's not exclusive to a nation. So anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's Mahatma Gandhi or Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi. That's uh, that's his life wrapped up. Part two done. Um, Fascinating. And I got through the entire thing without talking about his flip flops. Excellent. <laughs> He's famous for his like glasses and whatnot. His glasses are still kept in a museum. Yeah, but you know what the saying is: drier than Gandhi's flip flop. <laughs> oh God, yes. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode, guys. Um, yeah. Join us uh, next episode. Not sure entirely what that will be because that is a little while ahead of us right now. Um, oh, fuck. It could be anything. I think it's my turn. Isn't it? It's going to be a bad person. Hmm. Hitler part five. Oh, God. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Hitler part That's five, the return happen. of Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. Uh, it won't be Nazis. In fact, I'm going to do something so far away from the Nazi era that it literally cannot be linked. Oh, excellent. Always enjoy those. All right. Mm. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you'd like to support the show, of course, you can do so by heading to our social media page and just, you know, shouting us out. Um, recommend us to your friends and family, maybe your dog. I don't know. Um, touch their ears because I know they enjoy it. And um, yeah, make sure you <laughs> support the show uh, on our Kofi page. You can always donate to the show because we want a studio where we can put timelines and stuff on walls. That'd be really fun. And uh, yeah, make sure you purchase the merch. Grab some T-shirts and hoodies and mugs and shit. Do it perch them right now all right thank you very much for listening guys and we'll see you on the next one goodbye